This is the Heritage Radio News, bringing you top food stories from down the street and around the world with your Heritage Radio News team, Erica Wides, Patrick Martins, Jack Kinsley on sports, and Mike Edison on weather. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network News. Today is June 16th. 2016. I'm Erica Wides, sitting in the anchor seat today with Mike Edison, joining me, not in the same seat, but joining us for Patrick Martins, who is still away. Hi, Mike. Happy to be out of the weather grotto once again. Once again, we let you out. And uh, we also, coming up, we'll have Jack Inslee on sports, and um, Mike will be our weather guy, too. So he's filling two big chairs today. Our top stories this week, fish farming gets a little bit safer while cake batter gets a little bit more dangerous. And New York is about to get a little bit drunker. And Mike, what do you have coming up in weather? No good news, I'm afraid. It's 100% weather, and that means 100% crazy. Crazy? It's making everybody nuts. I know. I can't. I don't know what to wear. It's worse than that. Yeah, it's a mess. Okay, well, uh, and we'll check in with Jack Inslee later. He's on the road, and we'll get his sports story. So uh, now for our top story of the week. Eat more fish. That's what nutritionists keep telling us, to eat more fish. But wild-caught fish, which is the best for us, is very expensive. So most Americans turn to cheaper farmed fish, like salmon and tilapia, to get our dose of omega-3s. But did you know that one pound of farmed fish requires two pounds of wild-caught fish just to feed them? Aquaculture, or fish farming, currently uses more than 80% of the world's fish oil and fish meal. These products are made from small ocean-caught fish, leading to overfishing of these species. Now, however, there's some good news because scientists at Dartmouth have discovered that marine microalgae can completely replace the wild fish oil currently used to feed tilapia, the second most farmed fish in the world and the most widely farmed in the U.S., Farm fish are often also fed vegetable oil as a supplemental feed, but studies show that vegetable oil reduces the nutritional quality of the fish flesh. In contrast to vegetable oil, microalgae are much higher in essential omega-3 fatty acids, which are important for fish and for human health. The Dartmouth researchers looked at Nile tilapia, a species that naturally eats microalgae as part of its diet. They conducted a feeding experiment with a species of marine microalgae rich in health promotion health-promoting omega-3 fatty acids. When the researchers fully replaced fish oil with the microalgae, they found much higher weight gain and better food conversion compared to a control group, which was fed fish oil. The fish oil-free microalgae diet also had the highest content of omega-3 fatty acids in tilapia fillets. Our study shows that microalgae is a high-quality candidate for complete substitution of fish oil in juvenile tilapia, says co-author Anne Kapuczynski. She says this could lead to new aquafeeds with greatly reduced or no fish oil at all from marine fisheries or vegetable oils from industrially farmed crops. This could be a game-changer for the farm fish industry and for the future feeding of a growing, hungry global population. I got to tell you, Erica, I'm always afraid to buy farmed fish. I've heard so many yeah. nightmares about what they're fed that I always am looking for the sign that says uh, caught wild, wild or line caught. I know. It's a really tricky situation because wild caught species are being very overfished and you have to be really careful about where they come from. And yet farmed f- fish uh, has all kinds of problems, too. So it's a it's like a really sticky situation. What I do is I just try to buy locally caught wild species. Like mm-hmm. before the show, we were talking about things like bluefish, mackerel. You know, if you can buy them like... 
from a farmer's market where there's a local fisher fishing industry person selling it then or responsibly farm responsibly responsibly farm fish except you still have the problem of feeding because mm-hmm. they still have to do wild caught fish to feed the farmed fish so you're still getting a protein depletion for every pound of fish produced but uh, this sounds really promising so I hope so because I'm thir- I'm thoroughly confused I go to the fish market I know. honestly and I don't but I don't believe the signs either yeah Honest, no. honestly I'm very skeptical in New York I go to the fish I market know. and it says wild and it could be mislabeled too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of fraud and deception out there at sea, and you never know what where it's really. Going so uh, yet again, sea. what are we supposed to eat? <laughs> all right. Well, what do you have for us? Well, I've actually Mike? got some good news oh, for good. A change, Erica. Good news wow. for Sunday morning dipsomaniacs and Breakfast Club millennials, <laughs> all you boozers out there. New York City's archaic blue laws for Sunday morning boozing. That's the pesky bit of legislation that since 1934. I mean, this is prohibition era stuff. 1934 meant you could not buy alcohol between 4 a.m. on Saturday and noon on Sunday. That law has finally been repealed. Civilized New Yorkers and hungover walk of shamers alike have traditionally been stymied in what should be the hallmark of adult behavior, which is a Bloody Mary or mimosa with brunch. Before noon, thank you. And just, or maybe just a hair of the dog. A boiler maker, honestly, helps me make my Sunday night, night uh, nightmare go away. But um, thanks to these old school religious laws, these are the same laws. If you remember, you used to not be able to buy clothes on Sundays. Everything used to be closed on Sundays. This is uh, real morality kind of stuff, old Quaker stuff. Uh, no one could enjoy a hangover chaser on a Sunday morning until now. And uh, you can blame the rain in your parade do-gooders on this morality police, why this hasn't been changed in so many years. Uh, in this case, and um, maybe Dave in the, in the sound booth has got like a, like a big a big whine and trombone sound when I say his name. Assemblyman Robin Schiminger. Boo! Ooh. Chairman of the New York State Economic <laughs> Development Committee, who's been trying to stop the law's repeal. He told the New York Post that alcoholic beverages for consumptions uh, before 12 noon is an issue I do not take lightly. This guy is a bummer, but thanks to the more humane lawmakers, we can all order a Corona with our breakfast burrito. Thanks to Assemblyman Mike Monadetto, who's a Democrat from the Bronx, Assemblyman Richard Gottfried, a Democrat from Manhattan. These are the heroes of this common sense approach to Sunday morning misery. Said Benedetto, I don't think the government should be making a distinction between Sunday and other days of the week. And Governor Cuomo got on board. And I think uh, this week we'll finally be able to act like human beings. I think this is the first week Erica will actually be able to order a drink uh, at 10 a.m. Wow. They rolled it back a whole two hours. And gov- the governor excited. said, we've h- worked hard to cut red tape, lower costs, and roll back burdensome regulations to help New York's craft beverage industry thrive and create jobs, as well as some of the best beer, wine, cider, and distilled spirits in the world. This agreement to overhaul the state's archaic blue laws will build upon these ongoing efforts by knocking down artificial barriers for restaurants and small businesses and helping this industry grow even stronger. So craft brewers have a friend uh, in in Albany, uh, apparently. According to Eater, the governor had appointed a special panel to investigate the impact of changing the law, ultimately agreeing with their findings that the maddening law was arcane and in need of repeal. Under the amendments of the ABC law, bars and restaurants now in New York City, and I think it's going to go into effect this week, will be permitted to sell alcohol. 10 a.m. Still not early enough for me, though. (laughs) Okay, so I totally understand and support the need for this, and it will create more revenue, more jobs, but Uh I don't want a bunch of drunken frat boys standing out on the sidewalk at 10 a.m. drinking and puking when I'm trying to sleep late. Well, I'll tell tell you what, some bars... There has to be zoning laws There there are occasional exceptions, too, to let bars open at 8 a.m. outside of New York City, and this is generally so bars can sell... um, Beer in the morning when they're watching overseas uh, football matches. 
Okay, I okay, get I that. But, uh, you know, there's that whole stretch of Park Avenue South, which is like Drunken Brunch Alley. I don't live there, but I, you know, but there are massive neighborhood complaints about them. So uh, we're just going to have to see what well, happens. Well, I, I haven't done brunch in a long time for that, that reason. Yeah, I just I don't personally, find it a very... I hate brunch, actually, having worked it as a chef for <laughs> it's, all it's, those years. It's, it's the worst. It's the worst. I don't do brunch. But, but this is good. This is good for New York. This is good for the craft brewers. It's good for almost everybody. I'll tell you what you it's know. good for is when you get to the airport at 10 o'clock on a Sunday <laughs> morning, you need a drink. Yeah. Because that, that makes me nuts, being at an airport and, they don't, and you can't get a drink. That should be a 24-hour-a-day right. thing. All right. Well, Mike, thanks for that very uh, enlightening story. That was a good one. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, our famous Fast Food Minute. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network News, broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And now for our Fast Food Minute, brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery. First, we're going to our very own Rachel, the producer. Thanks, Erica. Uh, I have a follow-up to my story about the Brooklyn Cat Cafe, which is delightful. <laughs> but the cats do tend to get overwhelmed during normal operating hours and do what cats do best and go find a patch of sunlight to sleep in. Well, the new Kickstarter business is set to fix that uh, with the first cat wine bar, allowing patrons to play with adoptable cats and drink Merlot during the nighttime when cats are actually most active. This comes from a company in Denver that already has a coffee shop cat cafe, but the company hopes that the second place will double the rate of cat adoption. Also, with the original cat cafe, food and drink will actually be separated uh, from the cat area, so hygiene is not a concern. But it does give a more literal meaning to going to a cat club. Um, uh, <laughs> I like these cats. But I like cats. But are the cats going to be allowed to drink before noon on Sundays? That's the question. <laughs> this isn't in New York. Little so kitty no. booze, kitty boozing. And Mike Edison, what have you got? Oh, more booze, actually. Uh, you know, bourbon has become a very popular drink over the last mm-hmm. um, five, ten years. Uh, like old school bourbon. whiskey is. I like bourbon too, as is well known for breakfast. It's not just for <laughs> um, bourbon on your Wheaties. There has been a, uh, such a demand for bourbon, though, and as you know, bourbon needs to be aged to be considered bourbon. It has to stay in a barrel for uh, I think two years and oh. uh, um, before you can call it bourbon. Well, now um, there seems to be a shortage of bourbon because all these youngsters. <laughs> youngsters. Damn. That's, that's, that's youngsters. you, Rachel. Yeah, drink, drink, I'm drinking bourbon. So much well, it's, it's not it's not behavior I, I can really condemn because I got a pretty early start myself. And you <laughs> see see where it's gotten me. Um, I swear by it. But there is a new company called Cleveland Whiskey that is trying to quick age their bourbon. They've had a, their own proprietary process of pressurization and some other technology where they want to make bourbon in less than a week. Hmm. And this this rubs speed me the wrong bourbon. way. Speed bourbon. Um, you better be you'd better off be taking speed to be honest with you, because <laughs> this just sounds absolutely awful and goes to um, my belief that convenience sucks. You know, you just cannot rush these things. Yeah, some things cannot be rushed. You, you want pizza? You got to get an oven. <laughs> I, I mean, that's yeah, it. No you, you want bourbon? You need a barrel. You need some time. I totally so, agree. You want for, popcorn? Do it on the stove in a cast iron pan. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So you cannot speed up the bourbon process, but apparently that will be the next trend wow. is to try to. I mean, you can make vodka in about half a second. Yeah, because vodka doesn't taste like anything, so who cares? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. And filling in for Jack Inslee on our Fast Food Minute is our own Dave Tat, the engineer. What have you got? It's me. I'm back again. Well, this week, uh, usually there's only a handful of things you'd want to do without clothes on, but apparently for some people, eating is one of them. Following the success of nudist pop-up shops in London and Melbourne, Tokyo is getting in on the naked restaurant craze called Amrita. 
the Sanskrit word for immortality. However, not everyone will be able to go, and that's not just because of the $112 entry ticket. There are a lot of rules for who can dine in the buff. You must not have tattoos, be between the ages of 18 and 60, and you have to have a BMI of 25 or under. The restaurant doesn't open until July, but is already taking reservations, and many of the tickets are sold out. So get on that, unless you're slightly overweight, or inked, or old. Wow. Well, remind me never to go back to Japan again. Uh, that's crazy. Why are they so discriminating about that? No idea, but I'm keeping my clothes here. on. Why do they yeah. have a restaurant. naked restaurant? And who wants to eat with? naked? Exactly. I don't want naked bodies near my feet. Yeah, I don't want my miso soup spilling on my lap if I'm naked. Wow. Well. Oh, there's an image for you. Yeah. The U.S. has been hoarding a massive stash of cheese. We've heard about this in the past. You remember this growing up, Mike? The, the cheese orders. The cheese, uh, the, the silos full of cheese. How massive, you ask? Well, around 1.2 billion pounds of cheese. So to use up that pile of deliciousness, everyone in the U.S. would have to eat an extra three pounds of cheese this year alone, which doesn't seem like much. I could do that, actually, because mm, I love cheese. America's cows are expected to produce a record-breaking 200 billion-plus pounds of milk this year, and much of that milk goes to the cheesemakers, who are currently hoarding big blocks of cheese in freezers as they wait for the prices to rise. Why the hoarding? Well, increased overseas demand led to increased production, but now dairy prices have dropped while the dollar has climbed, so our global cheese-eating pals just aren't buying our Gouda and cheddar anymore. Not good for the cheesemakers, but even worse for the planet. Why? Because cheese has a massive, gooey carbon footprint. One study declared cheese to be the third worst animal food product for greenhouse gas emissions following beef and lamb, because to make cheese, you need about 10 pounds of milk per pound of cheese, and the dairy cows that produce that milk also produce a lot of methane, a climate-changing gas. Because you know what? Cows fart and burp more than any other species, except maybe my lactose-intolerant grandfather. <laughs> so I, I eat a lot of pizza. We all eat a lot of pizza we here. Eat around over here, we eat a lot of pizza. Yeah, but uh, I think it's more in the vein of, like, a Pizza Hut stuffed crust chip triple cheese monstrosity kind of <laughs> ac level activity in order to make a dent in that surplus. The entire yeah. state of Wisconsin. Jacuz. I, I also want to mention one other very quick fast food minute thing that I heard this morning, which is that in a uh, uh, international wine competition this week, a $6 Chilean Malbec just beat out 17 other competitors to be named best wine in the world. Where can I find a this? $6, $6 Malbec. Chilean Malbec. Unfortunately, it's only sold in British supermarkets. We can't get it here. But it was voted number one in the world in an international wine contest, which is pretty amazing. Anyway, that's it for our Fast Food Minute. Coming up after the break, there could be E. coli in your kitchen staple. How to prevent from getting it. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Greg from Kapow. Visit us at kapow.com to check out our unique collection of everyday reusable products designed to help you do more with less. C-U-P-P-O-W dot com. All right, we're back here. Heritage Radio News, broadcasting live from Bushwick at Roberta's Pizzeria. I'm Mike Edison along with Erica Wides. What have you got for us next, Erica? Okay, well, uh, do you bake? you like to bake, Mike? I get baked. Uh, that wasn't the question. I'm also fascinated with the spoons. The measuring baker spoons, spoons? The measuring spoons. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, if you like to bake, 
sometimes you also like to lick the cake batter bowl or eat oh, yeah. the cookie dough. Oh, no, I'm way into that. Yeah, we all grew up doing that, right? Well, you better put down that spoon because General Mills is recalling about 10 million pounds of its flour over a possible link to an E. coli outbreak in 20 states. The recall is for several varieties of gold medal and signature kitchens flour that were sold at stores such as Jewel, Safeway, Albertsons, and other supermarkets. General Mills claims E. coli hasn't been found in any of its flour products, but it's still recalling them out of what they call an abundance of caution. The company said last week that 38 people were sickened from mid-December through May. So the CDC found that half of the people used flour before getting sick. Some of it was a General Mills brand. Some may also have eaten raw dough or batter, claims the Minneapolis Food Company. General Mills said customers should not eat raw dough or batter at all and that the bacteria found in raw flour is eliminated when cooked. I mean, most people don't eat raw flour, but they do eat raw dough. It continued to caution customers to wash their hands and work surfaces after contact with raw dough or flour. According to the company, the particular strain of E. coli that may be linked to the flour can cause bloody diarrhea and dehydration, among other symptoms. Liz Nordley, president of General Mills Baking Division, said in a statement, As a leading provider of flour for 150 years, we felt it was important to not only recall the product and replace it for consumers if there was any doubt, but also to take this opportunity to remind our consumers how to safely handle flour. Specific product recall information can be found at generalmills.com slash flour, and consumers can also call the company at 800-230-8103. I think for years we've been told not to eat raw cookie dough, even though we right. don't do it. Right, but that was about the eggs. Uh, that was about the fear of salmonella in the eggs. Now you have to fear the E. coli in your flour. So uh, nothing is safe. What are we going to eat? Cheese. Pizza. Pizza and cheese. <laughs> and bourbon. All right. Well, that takes and, us. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, a fast brew bourbon for breakfast. <laughs> exactly. And uh, speaking of climate change, what have you got for us in the weather this week, Mike? Well... I love that because it makes me feel like I'm at a Black Sabbath concert. Totally. Summer's here. The time is right. Or is it? For anyone who has ever taken the A train in August can tell you there is definitely a link between human aggression and high temperatures. And according to the website Psych Central, heat and extreme rain brings out the worst in people. A report on the site says there's a direct correlation between the mercury rising and the increase of intergroup conflicts, an insanely high 14% increase. And even scarier, the same report found that interpersonal violence rose by 4% as summer temperatures soar towards 90 or 100. But wait. There's more. The more it rains, the more aggressive people seem to get. I should say, however, even though I'm not a scientist and I'm mostly interested in just scaring you (laughs) and mongering fear, um, this research could only show a correlation between the two. It's not really a cause and effect thing uh, as of yet. There's not something we can really prove. But suicides do peak during the spring and summer. And according to the website, while springtime may be the reason for hope for many, it's the season of hopeless for those who are depressed. Researchers found that outdoor workers are far more likely to commit suicide in the spring months than during the winter months. For indoor workers studied, suicides peaked in the summertime. But if you're looking for a reprieve from all this darkness of the fall and winter, well, forget it. Seasonal affective disorder. That's a very real thing. Short winter days can be brutal for folks already predisposed towards depression. 
The Huffington Post recently reported that extreme weather caused by global climate change is going to be a root cause of all sorts of problems. They were drawn from a 2011 report from the National Wildlife Federation. Global warming could have a significant psychological and public mental health implications in the United States. Roughly 200 million Americans will be at an increased risk of psychological distress, including stress, anxiety-related disorders, substance abuse, and suicides because of climate-related issues. So for better or worse, and again, I'm no scientist, there will always be 100% weather, 100% chance of weather every day. So you're just going to have to get used to it and get used to a lot of crazy. Um, 200 million Americans are probably already at an increased risk of psychological distress, anxiety. If from, from, from watching television. Disorders, you know, if you just. From listening to the Heritage Radio News. Yeah, <laughs> or just paying attention to the election. You know, or just living in America these days. Wow. Well, well, weather. Right. Another cheerful weather. <laughs> Mike Edison. That's a direction you've never taken us in. Wow. That is an all time low for weather. I worked hard on it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from our Jack Inslee on sports, who is somewhere on the road. We will be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. All right, and we're back. And that happy music can only mean one thing. Men playing grab ass in the locker room. Let's go to sports with Jack Inslee. All right, there are some more food memes for Steph Curry, also known as Chef Curry. But this time the internet isn't celebrating his cooking dance or his wife's recipe. No, this time he's being roasted for his shoes. The reigning MVP recently released a new sneaker with his sponsor, Under Armour, and the reaction is, well, lukewarm at best. Foot Locker released the shoe with a photo shoot featuring food, and that really backfired. Comedian Daniel Baker likened the shoe to plain, unflavored yogurt in an interview with the Wall Street Journal. Yahoo Sports said, it might be more suited for a line cook than a chef. Other tweets included, Steph Curry's shoes look like he's getting ready to grill up some hot dogs while listening to the ball game on radio, and do the new Steph Curry shoes come with a pack of Werther's Hard Candies? Meanwhile, Curry continues to cook on the court, but will it be enough to take down the Cleveland Cavs? Cleveland guard Kyrie Irving's shoe, a collaboration with Krispy Kreme Donuts, was a huge success. LeBron James was just complimented by former teammate Dwayne Wade for always knowing the right thing to order at dinner. And Kevin Love was just made fun of by teammates Richard Jefferson for eating two bran muffins and a banana with skim milk. Jefferson told ESPN he eats like an 80-year-old lady who's trying to make sure she's regular. This might be the weirdest and foodiest NBA Finals ever, and next week we'll figure out who's butter and who's toast. (laughs) Always quick with a quip, that Jack. I love that. Like an 80-year-old lady. That's awesome. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Well, thanks, Jack, wherever you are out there on the road for uh, this week's scintillating sports update. pretty funny. What's wrong with plain unflavored yogurt? That's what I eat. Well, I don't understand sneaker culture at all, but... I don't either. These these shoes made me not understand it even more because they're not even... They're just like white sneakers. Like old, like puffy Reeboks from the 80s? Yeah. Oh, That's like, that's what's uh, with the dad jokes. And they're probably like $180, right? I don't know. I have two pairs of sneakers. Jack would be ashamed of me. (laughs) Because you only have two? Yes. Oh. I have like four or five, but they're all exactly the same. (laughs) Wow. I rebought the same exact pair because I love them so much. Oh, yeah. I'm down. That's okay. I support that. All right. Anyway, this is not news related. Let's move on. (laughs) We're going to take a break and we'll come right back with our op-ed. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. 
robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to the very serious Heritage Radio Network news from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I am Erica Weitz, co-anchoring this week with Mike Edison. And our op-ed this week comes from Heritage Radio Network's own Joanne Flash Fleming. Well, thanks, guys. Today I'm talking about feeding the hungry. We've seen them all on the streets begging for money. However, some people don't want to give them money because it might be spent on drugs, alcohol, other vices. So they offer them food instead. The beggars usually want money, and now they have your food, which may be different than what they had wanted to eat. Or they can eat your food that you gave them, but they'll probably throw it away. And they don't have the money they were asking for. So what do donors do? Well, donors still want a little more control where their money is is being spent. But think about it. When you when you served a meal in a restaurant and you tip the server, do you have any control over where they spend that tip? How do you know that it isn't going to be used to party like it's 1999? One alternative is you can donate money to a charity. But do you know what becomes of your donation? Some of the hunger charities do a good job. That means they use most of the donations, between 75 and 90%, to get food to the people who need it. But be aware, there are many charities that don't spend most of the money raised on feeding the hungry. Instead, they have big salaries and expense accounts. In New York City, some of the best charities are Action Against Hunger. They work to eliminate hunger, especially during and after emergency situations due to conflicts or natural disasters. Well, there's City Harvest. They're working on ending hunger through food rescue and redistribution. And there's Food Bank for NYC. They work to end hunger by organizing food, information, and support for community survival and dignity. Nationally, we all know there's Meals on Wheels. They do a good job of empowering local community programs to improve the health and quality of the lives of the seniors so that no one is left hungry or isolated. If you still want to give money to food, give money or food to the street beggars, did you know that in some cities it's illegal? The theory is that it is sanctioning homelessness, and it takes funds and food away from soup kitchens and other charities that work to feed the hungry. Restaurateurs have been feeding the homeless for years, and now some of them are being fined for doing that. Finally, the street recipients of your donations can be beaten, harassed, and robbed because they now have food or money. So what can you do if you're so inclined to help? Well, you can give money or gift cards to hunger organizations. It's a tax deduction. You can separate or donate your recyclables, which is really great for the environment. You can donate food to the food bank, which also could be a tax deduction. You can volunteer at the hunger programs, which is a good way to give back to your community. You can recruit schools and businesses to support food drives or fundraisers. You can employ the homeless. We've all seen the signs. We will work for food. Or finally, you can work with your local politicians and get programs passed that could work in your community. I don't know. Feeding the people on the streets, maybe it's not my job. All right. Well, thanks to our own Joanne Flash Fleming for that uh, op-ed about feeding the homeless. Do you want to say something, Mike? You I work for food. <laughs> That's what we <laughs> do here. It's called the Heritage Radio <laughs> right, News. Yeah. We work for meat and pizza. Yeah. All right. Well, we are just about out of time this week. Um, if you want to contact us, send us ideas for shows, make nice or mean comments, you can do that at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Remember, you can download this show from the Heritage Radio Network site, heritageradionetwork.org. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can just listen to us live every Thursday at 2 o'clock and hang out with 
with us in person and have a good time. So we will see you next week. Thanks to Mike Edison for filling in. Patrick Martins will be back next week. Thanks to Jack Inslee on sports. Mike on weather, of course. Dave Tat in the booth. And our own Rachel, the producer, for pulling it together for us every week, often at the last minute. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.